Every week we go to the scriptures because it's there that we believe the person and work of Jesus is most clearly revealed. So our sermon text this week will be from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. But before I read, if you would, please pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your holy scriptures preached this morning. As it says in Psalms, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. So, Father, that's our prayer this morning, that by your Spirit we may learn more of the riches of knowing and loving you, and that we may not leave here unchanged. Remove any distractions and open our hearts to receive the word preached this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now hear from the word of the Lord from John 15, 1 through 8. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears more, much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. For this, is my, for this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, my name is uh, Brandon, one of the pastors here. Uh, should have introduced myself a minute ago. I apologize. Uh, if we haven't met, uh, would love to meet after the after the gathering. It is a privilege to get to uh, ordain a new pastor, appoint a new pastor, uh, Matt, this morning. But what that means is uh, that I am short on time, and so we need to get to work. Uh, Jesus, the teacher, uh, is highly illustrative, highly graphic, highly visual. If you were to read through the teachings of Jesus, just sort of flipping through the Gospels, you will, what will, what will feel like on almost every page, see Jesus giving some uh, imagery or illustration or visualization of some kind. You'll see him repeatedly uh, using imagery to communicate a point, to make a point. Uh, and that's what he's doing here. He, he's using graphic imagery to communicate a spiritual reality. Uh, I heard someone one time say that the, the job of a preacher, the job of a teacher, is not uh, just to make the truth clear, not to say true things, but to make the truth real, to make it live. Uh, they got that by thumbing through these pages and watching how Jesus teaches, watching him not simply say true things to make them true, but to say true things in a way that it brings it to life, makes it real. Uh, why would Jesus do this? 
Well, in the text that we're in today, uh, he, he is getting to what really is the heart of the Christian life. And he's getting to it in such a way, he's getting to the heart of the Christian life in such a way that he wants it to penetrate your heart, that your heart would be struck by the heart of the Christian life and it would come to life in you. Not simply that you would believe it, but that you would sense it, that you would experience, that it would come alive in you. And so in our text, he's using imagery of uh, a vine, branches, and its fruits. And to understand this imagery, uh, we need to get behind it, we need to get inside it, and we need to get out in front of it. That's what I mean by that. We've got to get behind it. We, we have to be able to see where it comes from. Where is Jesus getting this imagery from? What's he drawing on? We have to get inside it, inside the image, to see the point that he's making. What, what's the call from Jesus to you, to us, to me this morning, and then out in front of it. Where, where is it pointing us? Where is it leading us? Where is it taking us? We've got to get inside it, behind it, inside it, and out in front of it, and that's the progression of the text uh, that Jesus is going to follow. And so, let's get into verse 1 and see where Jesus is getting it from. Verses 1 through 3. I am the true vine, then my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. All right, so here's the imagery. Vine and its fruit. And so where is Jesus getting this imagery of a vine and its fruit? The short answer is that it is woven throughout the Bible. And when I say woven throughout the Bible, here's what I mean. Fruit is in the first chapter of the Bible. Fruit is in the last chapter of the Bible. And there is a vine running in between it. Here's how the Bible opens. Genesis 1. Adam and Eve, the first people, it says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth, subdue it. That's the first chapter in the Bible. Now the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the Bible begins with fruit. It ends with fruit. And here's what we have to see about Genesis 1 and where it begins, right? Because it begins with be fruitful, multiply, finishes with this tree of life, fruit coming every month, leaves for the healing of the nations. Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. This is more than simply go have kids who have kids who have kids who have kids. It's be fruitful multiply, and what? Fill the earth and subdue it. It was multiply. Go out, bring harmony, bring peace, bring shalom into the untamed world. Shalom, complete flourishing. Go out of the untamed world. It was take the garden and expand it. It was take the garden, expand it. This is important. We have to see this to understand where the, the scriptures go with these themes. Be fruitful, 
was to expand God's garden into God's world. The garden is a place of flourishing, shalom outside it, untamed chaos, and fruitfulness was to expand the flourishing out into the chaos. But they didn't. Sin entered the world, and instead of expanding shalom, they were sent out into the chaos. And fortunately for you and for me, that is not where the story ends, that God would create a people that would be His own, Israel, and this is how they get described. This is how Israel, the nation of Israel, the people that God formed, were described. Psalm 80, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and took deep root and filled the land. That Israel was the vine that was planted by God to bear fruit for what? Where does Revelation end? The healing of the nations. They were to be fruitful for the healing of the nations. But the problem is this, Jeremiah 2, God speaking to Israel, I planted you a choice vine. I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? I planted you a choice vine, pure seed, but you have become degenerate and become a wild vine. What does that mean? How did that happen? Well, the verse before it tells us. And parents, um, forgive me for the language. If you're at home, parents, you may want to earmuff for a moment, but I'm just reading the text. It's graphic imagery to make a point. Here's verse 20 right before this. On every hill, every high hill, and under every green tree, you bow down like a whore. Here's how it happened. Spiritual whoredom is what happened, that they gave themselves completely body and soul to other gods, that they were unfaithful. That's how it happened. They were unfaithful. That's how it happened. You see, here's the premise for Israel. This was the premise. Faithfulness was to lead to fruitfulness. Faithfulness was to lead to fruitfulness, but they were not faithful. Jesus was. And so when he says, I am the true vine, literally, I am the vine, the true one, because I am the true vine. He's saying, I am not like Adam or Israel, unfaithful or, or, or unfruitful. I am the vine, faithful to the Father, producing fruit for the healing of the nations. I am the vine, producing fruit for the healing of the nations. And so Jesus takes this imagery, this vine fruit imagery that's woven throughout the Bible. He brings it to himself, and then he applies it to his followers. And he applies it to his followers. I am the vine, you are the branches, but every branch that does not bear fruit, the Father prunes. So, what is the fruit that he's talking about? When he says, um, every you branches in me who don't bear fruit, the Father prunes. What is the fruit that he's talking about? Well, it's tempting to jump forward to the Apostle Paul, who gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit, things like um, um, peace, patience, love, joy. And while I certainly think it includes that, I think it's actually much broader than that. I think to understand it, we've got to put fruit, again, in the larger context of the Bible. We have to see it in light of Adam, Israel, Paul, Revelation 22, and it's got to include things like faithfulness, obedience, love, changed life, 
healing for others, healing for yourself. It's much more than simply a list that the Apostle Paul gives. That is a piece of it, but it's much broader than that. And then pruning. Pruning. Every branch that does not bear fruit, the Father prunes. What, what is pruning? Well, pruning is not punishment. Pruning is not punishment. Pruning is trimming away the rough stuff so that it can bear more fruit. So I'm told, I don't do things with my hands. Pruning is not punishment. It's trimming away the rough stuff so the vine can produce more fruit. Pruning is one way, one way that the Father changes us, changes us from less faithful to more, from less obedient to more, from less loving to more, from Christ-less character to Christ-like character. And so, if pruning is not punishment, but it's how God changes us, why does it so often feel like punishment? Why does pruning feel like punishment? Well, the answer is that because it almost always includes some measure of hardship or discipline. Let me, let me explain. Let me illustrate. Um, an example. Say, say your career is going pretty well. Career is going pretty well. You, you, you've, got a, you've had a few moves. You've gotten a few promotions. Um, and that's just kind of where you're at now. But when you started in your career... You were just thankful to have a job, like just thrilled that somebody would hire you, want you there, and pay you to be there. And because you were so grateful for this, you were incredibly generous. You just, you were grateful to have a job, grateful that somebody would say, I want you here and I'll pay you to be here, and you were happy to be generous with your money and meet other people's needs and give it away left and right. But then, so then you were bearing the fruit of generosity, just like Jesus. But then, a few years down the road, you're making more money, and all of a sudden, you just begin to believe you deserve it. Like, I, man, I worked hard. I worked hard. I got what I got because I worked hard. You don't have what you don't have because you're not working hard. A little self-righteousness starts to bubble up, and all of a sudden, your life is bearing the fruit of greed, not like Jesus one way, one way that the Father might prune you is to take that job away, which in the moment is not going to feel like a gentle hug. It's going to feel like punishments, when really it's pruning. It's pruning. Pruning is not punishments. It's God's way of bringing you to a place where you bear more fruit fruit that is more in line with healing and not destruction for you or for others. All right, behind the imagery, this imagery is an unfaithful Adam, unfaithful Israel, but a faithful Jesus. Faithful Jesus with a father who prunes his followers so they can bear more of his fruit. And now let's get inside the image. Let's get inside it and see the point that he's trying to make here. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, so here is the imperative in the text. The, the only imperative in the text right here, the you must do this. You got to do this. I'm not here just to, you know, tell you warm things, Jesus says. I, I've got something that is imperative for you. Here it is. Abide in me. Abide in me. What does it mean to abide? The way one commentator put it was simply this, that it means daily personal relationship with Jesus marked by dependence, trust, prayer, and obedience. It's Jesus sitting in the first chair in your life. First chair in your life. Abide in me, Jesus says. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, neither can you. And the pruning, if we could go back, the pruning is the Father's way of reminding us of this. It's the Father's way of reminding us, helping us to believe, helping us to believe that healing inside you, healing inside others, it only comes from a life being richly connected to Jesus. A life richly connected to Jesus. Maybe a quick point of application here. Um, if I could say it like this. Uh, you, you, you are abiding in something. What is it? Like something has first chair in your life. What? There's something that you are richly connected to, that you are in a daily ongoing relationship with, something you depend on, something you trust, something you beg for in prayer. What, what is it? What is it? Whatever you abide in will determine the fruit that your life produces. Whatever you abide in will determine the fruit that your life produces produces and abiding in anything other than Jesus will almost always produce the fruit of insecurity and loneliness. Abiding in anything other than Jesus will almost always produce the fruit of insecurity and loneliness. If work is what you abide in, like work is that thing that you depend on for it to be your source of life, so there will always be someone smarter than you. Insecurity. Relationships will eventually simply become transactional, which will just create loneliness. If social media is the thing that you abide in, like your presence on social media, how you view yourself on social media, how someone else views your life through the lens of social media, there will always be somebody with a more picture-perfect life out there, and it will lead to insecurity. And if you're tempted to look to social media for relationships and for community, it is only going to lead to loneliness eventually. What you abide in will determine the fruit that your life produces and for the fruit of your life to be healing and redemption that only happens by abiding in Jesus. It only happens abiding in Jesus. There is a single imperative in the text, abide in me. So I don't want to get too far from that imperative without answering the question, how? How, how do I abide? Okay, if, if that's the warning not to abide in these things, how do I do it then? How, how do I abide in Jesus? Well, I want to first say that abiding in Jesus is more a matter of the heart, and so I want to be guarded against giving a formula, but I do want to give a couple of principles. Principle one, never get too far from the Bible. Never get, never get too far from the Scriptures. 
two, principle two, never get too far from the church. Three, never let prayer get too rare. Three principles to abide in Jesus. Not a formula. It's a matter of the heart, but some baseline principles. And now, uh, Jesus gives a warning in verse 6 and then an invitation in verse 7, both of which have a couple thousand years of debate over what they mean. And so, let's look at them. Verse 6 first. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay. Like I said, we have a couple thousand years of debate over what this verse means. Some would say that the branches gathered, thrown in the fire, these are people uh, who were never really Christians in the first place, simply looked like it, and eventually proved that they weren't. Others would say, no, they really were Christians, united to Christ, joined to Him, who then, because of their life and falling away, uh, were, were, were thrown away and lost their salvation. And the heart of that is actually a very important debate, a very important debate for you. But remember what Jesus is doing here. He's giving imagery to make a point. He's giving imagery to make a point. And I think to answer that debate from this passage pushes the image too far. I think it pushes the image too far. I don't think you can answer that debate, solve that mystery from this imagery, and so I'm not going to answer that question. I'm not going to wade into that debate because here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to debate away the warning. I do not want to debate away the warning that Jesus is giving right here because here's what we do know. Fire was imagery for judgment. And Jesus is giving a sober and a serious warning to us right now. There's a sober and a serious warning that I do not want to debate away. And here's the warning that Jesus says. Not abiding in me is dangerous. Not abiding in me is dangerous. And listen, there are some of us in this room right now. Some of us online, at home, right now, listening to this, and we need to feel the weight of this warning. We don't need to jump into the thousand-year theological debate over precisely what's happening here. We need to feel the weight that we have spent this past year drifting and drifting and drifting, and we are beginning to take steps back toward Christ, back toward the church, and we need to feel the weight of this. We need to feel the weight of this warning. Jesus saying, not abiding in me is dangerous. It's dangerous. You're playing with fire. Let's not debate the imagery and lose the gravity of the warning that Jesus is giving us that some of us need to hear right now. But then there's an invitation in verse 7, a beautiful and majestic invitation with equal debate. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish. These words have been recited at a craps table asking for seven. I hope not everybody got that, by the way. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
again, plenty of debate, and I, I don't want to debate away the majesty of this invitation because listen to the qualifiers. Abide in me, and what? My, what does he say? My what? My words abide in you. Just before in, uh, not just before, sorry, in um, Matthew 12, Luke 6, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Point being that Jesus' words just flowed from the heart of God. Jesus' words flowed from the heart of God, and here he says, if my words abide in you, my words abide in you. Here is the invitation from Jesus to you this morning. And it is glorious and it is beautiful that in Christ you can have your heart so united to the heart of God that the heart of God just flows out of you in prayer. I want to say that one again because I wrote it down. In Christ, you can have your heart so united to the heart of God that the heart of God just flows out of you in prayer. What a majestic invitation from Jesus. Abide in me, Jesus says, and avoid my warning and receive my invitation. Abide in me. That's inside the image, and now let's get out in front of the image in verse 8. Where is it leading us? How do we live it? How do we apply it? By this my Father is glorified. Listen, you are going to glorify someone, yourself, the Father, you choose. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Point, the disciples of Jesus bear the fruit of Jesus. The disciples of Jesus bear the fruit of Jesus, and where does the fruit of Jesus lead? Where did, the, where did we go earlier, Revelation 22, the healing of the nations, that to bear much fruit is to bear the marks of Jesus, marks that heal, to do what Adam and Israel were supposed to do that Jesus did, faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. But this was, of course, for Jesus costly. It was for him costly. Now, when he gathered his disciples together for this final meal before he would go to the cross, he gave them bread and wine, and he said, I tell you, I will not drink again of the, here it is, fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He was giving them this cup of redemption that would become for us a cup of life because on the cross he was going to drink from the cup of death for you and me, for you and for me. And one day, one day, he will drink of the fruit of the vine that has become the healing of the nations, and one day that will be made full. One day there will be no more tears, there will be no more heartache, there will be no more pain. The healing of the nations will have happened, and he will drink of that fruit of the vine. But that day is not here yet, and until that day gets here, the disciples of Jesus continue bearing the fruit of Jesus for the healing of the nations for the healing of the world, for our healing, and for the healing of our neighbors. And fruitful life begins with a faithful life. Because the biblical pattern, Adam to Israel to Jesus to you, is this. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. And so here's the question, maybe a closing question for us, is what would it look like? What would it look like for us to be 
this kind of community to be a faithful and a fruitful community. What does that look like? How can we pursue that together? Well, I, I want to start like this. Faithfulness to Jesus today, it will take courage. It will take courage. It will take a particular and unique kind of courage to be faithful to Jesus, the kind of courage that comes only from abiding in Him. But this isn't just true today. This was true over 1,600 years ago. But a man, John Chrysostom, preacher in the 4th century. By the way, I got this from our church history class. Uh, plug, Monday night, tomorrow night, 8 p.m., come and show up midway through. But over 1,600 years ago, he opened a sermon on this passage like this. He walked up, turned around, looked at the room. No, good morning. No, good to see you. No, man, y'all look so good today. Open, open his mouth, and these words came out. Ignorance makes the soul timid, just as instruction in heavenly doctrines makes it great. It took courage then. Faithfulness to Jesus took courage then. It takes courage now. And knowing, knowing that your life has been united to Christ can give you that courage. And faithfulness, it leads to obedience, love, and a changed life. And here's why parishes are so central to life in our church. So parishes are so central to life in our church. There are communities to help keep us faithful, communities where we learn obedience together through applying the Scriptures with one another, where we cultivate love for one another and for our neighbors. It's where we work to see our lives change through confession and repentance. If I could say it this way, our, our parishes, these groups of men, women, and children who uh, meet on Sundays or on uh, Tuesday nights uh, that, 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 that have a meal together and pray together and we hope laugh and cry together, that they are not just places to make friends. Of course, we want to make friends there. But they are communities of communal pruning that we might bear more fruit together. And this is why, as we've said for a decade, proximity matters. Proximity matters. This is why we ask you, move in, live near one another. Because listen, it doesn't happen. It's in a life lived together. This kind of communal pruning, it doesn't happen simply, simply when you meet together for a meeting. It happens when you begin to walk together and live life together and pray together and cry together, have coffees together. So we have parishes and the Heights, Garden Oaks, Oak Forest, Lindell Park, that you can step into and live life together as communities of communal pruning, which means, of course, sometimes community is painful, but it is for your good, and it's for mine. But we don't want to just be inward-facing, healing for one another kind of community. We want to be an outward-facing community as well. We want to be a people who work for the healing of the world. And so, we've partnered with these wonderful organizations who are doing this incredible work to see our world be a more just world. Organizations like Houston Welcomes Refugees, Open Door Mission, Forge for Families, and two that were started by members of our church. Fostering Family, this organization that strengthens foster families and communities that surround them through training, coaching, collaboration, wonderful organization. And then every shelter, 
every shelter, this org that provides shelters for refugees around the world, for men, women, and children who are displaced through no fault of their own, who need a place to live, a safe, secure shelter with a floor. Every shelter, fostering family, wonderful organizations. Here's one way, one way you can begin to bear the fruit of Jesus for the healing of the nations. Not the only way, one way. Jump into any of those orgs and start serving. Find out ways that you can help them out, ways that you can resource them. Jump in and participate in the work that is happening for the healing of the nations. The fruit of Jesus, it's internal, it's a changed life. It's communal, it's a new kind of community. And it's global, it's for the healing of the nations. But it all starts with faithfulness, because it's faithfulness that leads to fruitfulness. You will abide in something. Abide in me, Jesus says. Let's pray. Father, help us to live this text. Help us to live this text. We so desperately need that. Help us to receive these words. Help us to receive this call from your Son to abide in Him. Some of us are drifting. We've been drifting, and we need to stop drifting. We need to start running back to you. I pray for those who here gathered in person, those at home online who have been drifting. I pray that they would know they can run back, and we are here ready with open arms to say, come on home. Come on home. Help us to see, Father, your pruning as for our good, not for our punishment. No, then your pruning, you are drawing your heart near to ours. Help us to receive it, as painful as it might be. Help us to receive it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, amen.